Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Listen to Matt Levy and Mark Rossi as they put their cinema studies degrees to good use and induct the best movies of all time into their own Hall of Fame. With no further ado, roll the camera. Hey Mark, how are you today? Oh, doing good, man. Just trying to weather the storm, literally speaking. The snow's just never ending, right? Here we are again in February. We had part of a storm today. We're getting more tomorrow. We're right in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like that we had recently reviewed Groundhog Day because I'm getting that Groundhog Day feeling (laughs) just when we think like the snow's gone and it's back. And then you think that one day is going to be it and then it's going to be another day afterwards. We just can't escape it. Yeah, but the theory or at least science shows that spring has to come eventually so right we think we're about a month out at this point hopefully it's gonna turn a corner soon yeah the only silver lining is that you know with these types of days it it just gives you more reason to kind of hunker down and catch up on movies or shows that you've missed or revisit some of the classics like we uh, get to do this week i don't know about you but i feel like my backlog i used to have a good handle on it oh yeah but right now between tv shows and movies it's about as big as it's ever been yeah, my backlog is really bad right now. I think the only show that I've I've stayed on top of was WandaVision, just because that one gets spoiled so quickly on social yeah. media. Yeah, Mandalorian so and Wandavision I had to yeah. watch basically week to week. Yeah. Everything else, if it goes on the DVR or if it's on streaming, I know I can catch up. I'm just worried about getting spoiled. So yeah, that's the only reason why I'm up to date on that is because the internet is very troll i bet you stay up till the wandavision episode goes live or do you watch it the next day unintentionally i don't <laughs> i don't i don't plan on it but then 3 a.m rolls around and I'm just thinking i might as well you know what's another I'm, half hour I'm, at this point i'm here already right, right we're here already what's the what's, what's this gonna you know impact if i just stay so, up to watch it mark we have a movie here that i absolutely adore this is a movie that i would say is a modern tragedy this is a movie that is one of our both, it's one of our favorite directors. It's about a topic that people say the movie is actually successful because it's not, doesn't feel like a Batman film. And that movie is 2008's The Dark Knight, written, produced, co written, produced and directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh, Mark, where do we even start with a movie like The Dark Knight? The Dark Knight is really a foundational type of movie for the way that we now experience theater. The MCU kind of has a little bit, you know, to they they owe a lot of their success and the draw of superhero movies to The Dark Knight because it really fundamentally changed the way people viewed superhero movies and what they could be. They had been really pigeonholed into a specific type and they have to be kind of campy and funny, but they're not serious stories. And the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight trilogy, as it ended up being kind of titled, really changed the perspective on that, that it could still be a superhero movie, but they can tell these really grounded, really fantastic stories as well. Yeah, the Dark Knight gets a lot of credit for, I think, legitimizing superhero movies as movies as as pieces of art and not just being a comic book story and i think i i don't know if i agree with that i think you can go back to the x-men the spider-man movies and some of the ones that 
really started off. This just made it not feel like a superhero movie. This feels more like a crime saga. This feels like a thrilling crime heist movie between the, the opening scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But this movie is is watching just the fall of this white knight. That's kind of why it's called the Dark Knight, the kind of the rise and fall of a good person. Absolutely. And I feel like it has so many themes. So let's let's back up. Let's try and steer all the way back to where are we here? We're in 2008. We're not that far away, but it's still, I don't know about you. This movie seems like 13 years ago. It seems like such a long time ago. It feels like ages ago. Yeah, 12 years is a long time, but it, it feels every bit of the 12 years for me personally. Me Only too, because me too. this this movie came out like right after we had graduated college. So You're right. And I had my movie, whole life ahead of me. And now and we had at that point nothing but time, you know? So right. I went out and saw this movie in theaters. I think the day I was there, I was definitely there the day it came out. Yeah, and then too. I went back to see it several times, especially in IMAX. I know you've said the same, correct? Yes, yeah. I saw it several times um during its original run. And I might have seen it at midnight and then seen it the day that same day after waking up and this is not a short movie but it's a quick moving movie there's not really no fat on this movie i would love an extended cut i mean if i could get more right yeah it it feels it doesn't it never feels like it's it's dragging it feels really lean like you were just saying you know subsequent batman movies have gotten extended cuts very recently that don't really felt like they deserved it and I think they like would be around the same length as this movie and they feel bloated. This does not feel bloated at all. It is very easy to kind of follow the through line. It's, it's well, very well put together. And a question for you. Would you say that this is your favorite Batman movie? We've had now, I think we're up to you know, eight, nine, ten Batman movies. It depends what you consider a Batman movie. But right. would you put this at the top of your list? Yeah, this is my number one for sure. Yeah, I mean, no matter what nostalgia I have for the Keaton movies or nostalgia I have for Val Kilmer's and, and all the others, this movie, as far as just a, a piece of film, sits above the rest of them, I think. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, it, it really does stand above the rest. Uh, even the Nolan films, Batman Begins, I think, is kind of criminally underrated, even in retrospect now. But this is this is definitely the the, the cream of the crop. This is the top. Yeah, I agree. Batman Begins, which was the prequel to this, that's kind of set the foundation for the movie that we got here. And I think an origin story is is hard to be the big success that you kind of, this one's already had the stage set for it. So this one was able to now just get into a good story. It didn't have to tell us who Bruce Wayne is, who this version of Bruce Wayne is, who Batman is, who, you know, who is the, the mask, which one is the real person. This movie got into basically how it rises. They said things would get worse in Gotham city before they got better. And I think this movie showed that and it starts off. Let's start with the introduction of this movie. And I think the intro to this movie is so special and it actually was shown way prior to this movie being released. This actually was shown, I believe as on the Blu-ray for Batman begins, there was the scene was on there. I think this was shown as a trailer or scene when you saw other movies and theaters prior to this. Yeah. What do you remember about this? I guess it's got about a five to seven minute intro. What do you what do you think about that whole heist setup? It's a phenomenal setup, and it's it's a really 
fantastic piece of cinematography, but I think the credit to how well they marketed this is that uh, I spent money, actual money to see the movie Hancock because this was played before Hancock and Hancock actually ended up being like entertaining enough, but I didn't even care if the movie was a complete dumpster fire because of how excited I was to see this opening sequence, which is kind of a theme, I guess, with the the Nolan movies when Dark Knight Rises was, uh, you know, about to come out. I went to see Mission Impossible in the city just so I could see the, you know, the sequence there. But it's a it's a great sequence. It really is. And Nolan does a great job in all of his movies of trying to push the IMAX format. And that opening sequence in particular has a lot of that full format where you get more on the screen. It's an interesting sequence because you're watching all these men in these masks, these clown masks break into this bank and and kind of pull off a heist. And it's just really well done. It's really enjoyable. I've watched that sequence. I cannot tell you how many times. It must be somewhere at 100 to 200 times. Right. And sometimes you just want to show off a new theater setup. The visuals, the audio of that scene are spectacular. Yeah, definitely. It really does showcase you know a home theater setup there because you have those IMAX shots that fill up the entire screen. But it's also interesting that it's it's a, it's essentially like a cold open. You know, it, we're... We're, we're not really introduced to the Joker only by name, but we're, we're following this heist in progress. We haven't seen anything resembling Batman for until we're well into the movie. So I think it's very interesting that they, they chose this as the opening sequence to kind of just set the world and, and really set, you know, the Joker up in his fully, you know, full form. Yeah, two things on that. I would say, yeah, this is building up the myth that is the Joker because everyone's talking about him like they know who he is, but they don't really, oh, you know this guy? He you know, hired us for a job and he said I had to do this. Right. And it's not till the end of the sequence do you meet him. And I feel like that whole thing was building up the, the myth of who this guy is in the criminal world and no one really knows who he is. And then it's also, what I find interesting about that, in, that intro sequence is I feel like it paints Gotham in a very different light than Batman Begins. Batman Begins, I feel like it looked like a grimier, grittier, beat-up city. It was in really in a bad place. It needed Batman. And I know they chose more of a... I know there's a lot of this is filmed in Chicago, but I think you have some of these big, open, clean, nice-looking buildings. And I feel like it's a very different visual aspect and visual tone to the Gotham that we're getting here in the beginning. Yeah, you nailed it on the head. It definitely feels a lot cleaner the batman begins the cinematography the way that they set up gotham was very kind of dark and brooding a a city that was broken in need of uh you know restoration and and saving from itself essentially heading down that path so now that batman's also in his full form and and he's you know been able to to clean up the city there the the city is, is reflecting that that type of uh change totally I would want to start with, you know, just to throw the plot out there, I'm sure everyone knows, but Bruce Wayne and uh, police lieutenant James Gordon and uh, just district attorney Harvey Dent and all their aliases have formed an alliance to dismantle the organized crime in Gotham City, but are menaced by an anarchist mastermind known as the Joker, who seeks to undermine Batman's influence and throw the city into anarchy. And it's a really strong screenplay it's a strong plot it has batman go into a i think a newer area than we're used to him seeing in batman movies where he's 
not necessarily wanted or loved by everyone at some points. And even by the end of the movie, he, he makes himself to be the scapegoat, you know, of the story. He makes himself to be the, the villain. And I feel like this this definitely paints Batman as more of a, a tragic character. Yeah, it definitely paints Batman and Harvey Dent as tragic characters. I think it's also interesting that Batman ends up taking a lot of really good lessons throughout the movie from different characters, from Harvey Dent as the White Knight, but also during his fall, he takes a lesson from his fall as well. So Batman, even though he's basically fully formed, does really evolve uh, over the, the course of the movie itself. Yeah, his, I would say Harvey Dent has the, the, the strongest arc yeah, definitely. It it def, it feels like a it's a Batman movie, definitely. But it really is fully about the the arc of of Harvey Dent, the rise and fall. Yeah, I mean, Joker's whole mission is to bring a District Attorney Harvey Dent, who is becoming this White Knight of Gotham, and he's putting crime away without having to wear a mask, and he's able to take this amazing political figure and basically pull him down to their level and. Feel like that's the story in a nutshell and and batman's trying to do whatever he can to almost get away from the life i think in this movie he's realizing that if guys can do it without wearing a mask it's better for the people and maybe he's not needed anymore and i think he wants to escape the, the life of being batman it's an interesting perspective you know for a superhero movie to to take that it's better if the the people, you know, the justice system that they're kind of flagrantly operating, you know, in, in the face of and against is what puts these criminals away. So it's it's definitely a, a different perspective than most superhero movies to that point, I would say, uh, really took. Because then you have, you know, civil, civil war also kind of broached on that subject, the, you know, the impact of well, we have these people taking out menaces, but they're destroying cities on a large, large scale. How much do we embrace that? Do we want there to be just a stronger justice system so we don't have to rely on these people to take out low, you know, low level criminals or to, to take on all, you know, evil of all, all kinds? Yeah. And the other thing I like, as, as you talked about there, the movie here has a wonderful plot, a lot of things intertwining, a lot of things weaving in and out, but it's not about some save the galaxy story. It's not some save the universe story. It is actually a very small story about the city of Gotham and the crime and some even good people that are being pulled down and, and police officers and unnecessarily trustworthy. And I feel like because it is a more of an intimate story, it, I think it, it, it pulls the viewers in rather than this is not some global crisis. Right. Nothing Joker's doing yet is trying to kill everyone in the world. It's, it's a menacing story. Yes. But this is, it's still small and feels grounded and real. Definitely. It stays within Gotham, right? The, the impacts are on Gotham. He's trying to tear this particular city apart, not trying to destroy the world or, or something on a global scale. Gotham is very much both Batman and the Joker's turf. So they're sticking to what he knows. He's not trying to expand past that, at least in this you know particular film. I think the the smartest thing about this movie in, and looking at it in retrospect is that, again, like we were just going over how it feels very much like the central character is Harvey Dent. And you have a big name character like the Joker, obviously from the comic books and the Tim Burton movies, the Michael Keaton Batman movies, people being 
you know, very excited about the Joker, but they never dive into his backstory in a and concrete fashion. I think that's fashion. so smart. And I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. I think sometimes you get bogged down with intro stories and Joker's intro story has been told by, you know, the 1989 Batman. So why go through that again? Let's show a different Joker that's already created havoc in this underworld. And he's already sort of a, a known entity. And I know the, the story of Harvey Dent they chose to, I think it's influenced by a limited series called The Long Halloween, which it's a great series that I've read. It has a lot of villains in it. Batman's got a great rogue gallery. But the character of Harvey Dent, he's originally a district attorney. He's originally a, 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 a lawyer. He's just really a, a good guy. And it shows how different things in his life have showed him that, you know, you can't leave. You know, he thinks that, you know, people can't leave it up to the justice system, that things sometimes you have to take things into your own hands. And that's kind of right. what he gets to in this movie. Yeah. Even while, even before his full turn into Two-Face, the movie just really kind of touches on the subject of you have one figure that is, you know, operating within the law itself there and trying to stay within the lines, but right on the edges and sometimes overstepping it. And then you have the vigilante Batman who's very much operating outside of the law and how they kind of work in tandem to try to, to try to take down, you know, these different criminal enterprises. Absolutely. So I thought we'd start with some of the, the cast of this movie, because I think across the board, there is some great performances here. And I think this movie, I know it might be a silly comparison. I feel like this is the godfather of superhero movies. I feel like this, as far as a crime heist, real legitimate movie, it established itself in a special place. And the actors here are fantastic. We have Christian Bale as Batman. Mark, what are your feelings on Christian Bale in this role. I love Christian Bale in this role. I think he approaches it from a very different place than a couple of the previous different Batman. So he wasn't trying to do a Michael Keaton impersonation or, you know, uh, a Val Kilmer impersonation or an Adam West impersonation. There's, you know, lots of different places you can kind of pull from, but I think that between he and Christopher Nolan, David S. Goyer, Jonathan Nolan, the way that they kind of collaborated together, he, you know, made his own version of Bruce Wayne and Batman. People have argued over the voice. I think, logically speaking, it makes perfect sense that he disguises his voice. Does he have to make it as gravelly and grunty? That's a, you know, that could be a different story, but it makes perfect logical sense to me. I'm glad you brought up the voice. Everyone, it's a meme now. Everyone jokes about it, but I think it's one it's, of my favorites. It's great, but it honestly makes sense. I mean, if you're going to be an intimidating enforcer like the batman you're not going to go out there and michael keaton kind of just talks like michael keaton that's no right. disrespect to michael keaton he's fantastic in the role i love those movies but christian bale what he does here he does he puts his own spin on the role obviously batman's been around for 70 80 years now that there are different interpretations and different versions of batman over the years and christian bale's i think a more physical presence than some of the previous actors right so i think that adds to some of the intimidation but i think Christian Bale it comes from a school of acting that I think is a little more theatrical. And I think he's got, he gets a little more into his characters, I think, than right. you might say of Val Kilmer and Michael Keaton. And there's no disrespect to them again. Right. It's just a different approach. But I, I agree with you 100%. 
He, yeah. he's he has a theater background. He's definitely a method actor, and you could tell he's really in that character. He's not maybe as far as like a Daniel Day Lewis, but he goes to those levels of really diving into the character. And I think he wanted to understand here. Bruce Wayne is obviously the mask when he is Bruce Wayne in these scenes, even in Batman Begins, and he's you know walking into the hotel with the two girls and he sees Rachel. You could tell he's not comfortable in his skin as Bruce Wayne. He feels like when he's Batman, that's who he truly is. And I feel like that's really shown well in these movies that Bruce Wayne is who he hides, you know, his true self. That's such a good call. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that that take on it. It's it's definitely Bruce Wayne feels like it's the the alter ego for for Batman as his truest self. Yeah, that definitely is is it. And I think he does a great job of of portraying that he he seems tortured about you know different decisions that he makes throughout the uh, the film. Nothing kind of just kind of flies off his back like water off of a turtle. He he thinks about you know the impact you know that Batman can have and wanting to have possibly a life outside of it and become more Bruce Wayne than Batman since he's lost so much of himself and invested so much of himself into being you know this vigilante what i also like is that i feel like we get more detective batman here than we normally and i feel like there is a little bit in each movie but i feel like that's who batman really is he's the world's greatest detective and i feel like we should always have as much of that as possible and there are scenes here where you get to really see his mind work because he's supposed to be out thinking and, and figuring things out ahead of time so so christian bale we have playing the lead as batman but this cast is is fantastic you have you know, Michael Caine back as Alfred, Heath Ledger, which I'm sure we'll dive into Heath Ledger as the Joker. Impossible uh, Ga- not to. Yeah. Gary Oldman, who I think is completely underrated as Commissioner Gordon. Aaron Eckert plays Harvey Dent. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, which was recast from the original of Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes. And then you have Morgan Freeman, who is back playing Fox. Lucius, right. Lucius Fox. So, uh, Mark, any I'm sure there's a name on there you want to jump out and talk about, but anything where, anywhere you want to start? Uh, I'll start in an unexpected place. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal has been the subject of some, I'd say, unnecessary ridicule over her portrayal of Rachel. I think she does a really great job. I think if Katie Holmes had the benefit of hindsight, she wouldn't have passed on making this movie for Mad Money with Queen Latifah. But Maggie Gyllenhaal is another fantastic actress who brings that you know that type of game to this role i think this particular movie really kind of fleshes out rachel as a character uh and gives her a, a little more uh you know gumption than not that her character in batman begins was poor but this gives her a little little less damsel stress and a little more of her own type of moral center that yeah. you see that she has yeah, no, I think you're right on point there. Yeah, I think there's some love and hate to the recasting. And I think it's always hard for people when you have a vision in your head of who you saw as the part and it is recast, you're going to now compare things. And Katie Holmes is not known as a, sorry, Katie Holmes, as a top tier actress. I think she might be easier on the eyes potentially than Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's most of the discussion, yeah. But Maggie Gyllenhaal, I think, is most likely the superior actress. Right. And I think she plays the part, I think, pretty consistently with with Katie Holmes in that she's not just a Danzel. She's not just a, a pushover and she's not going to stand and take, you know, crap from just about anyone. And she stands up for herself and she's willing to 
turned down Bruce Wayne Batman as well. So she's she's definitely great and it's it's obviously a huge tragic ending when she is killed off in this movie. I think it caught a lot of people off guard and I think it's it was a strong move to 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 do something to write that into a script like this where you're killing off the female protagonist. But yeah, I I I, I totally agree with you on, on, on Maggie John Hall. Yeah, definitely. I, I know that we're we're gonna get into Heath Ledger. Obviously, he won an Oscar posthumously for it, so it's well deserved. But we talked about how the story is very much about Harvey Dent. So I think we have to shout out, you know, Aaron Eckhart did a phenomenal job. Another if you're talking about easy on the eyes, he's a very good looking man. He's a very uh, handsome man, Aaron Eckhart. And I think it's it's very believable. I think the part that he plays here at least the first half of the movie before he starts to get frustrated with the system and, and right. his turn starts to begin. I think you start to see him as the guy says, you know what, we can do this. You know, he really believed and when he said, believe in Harvey Dent, he really believed that he could do this the right way and put some of this crime behind them and f- clean up Gotham. I've always been a fan of Aaron Eckhart. I like the movie. I think you and me actually watched it back in college. Thank you for smoking. Yeah, we did. That was a great movie. I think he's, I think he's an excellent actor. And I think, this movie doesn't work unless you believe in the goodness of him. And then also you believe in the tragic fall of him as well. And leading into the final scene of the movie with him and Gordon's family, which I think is extremely emotional. I mean, that scene, I get tense every time watching it. And you just know he's gone to such a dark place from where he started, you know, in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, the thing that you think about when you're watching the movie is, is how close all three of those main characters, Batman, the Joker, and Harvey Dent, really are to being, you know, the other. They all are are operating in that in that gray area from where they are. Uh, the Joker, obviously, it's is more an agent of chaos in his own words, but Harvey Dent and Batman both are operating that really morally ambiguous area. Harvey Dent has true intentions, so does Batman, but. You could see he's trying to push the envelope a little bit farther and farther, even though he has a, a goal of you know something righteous in mind. It's how far you end up going down that rabbit hole. Uh, and then that loss just kind of makes him snap uh, and, and lose his moral center. But how close are you know each of them from becoming the other? I, I think it's, it's closer than people might want to really think they are. I agree. And I think... As great as Bruce Wayne is, you know, James Gordon and uh, Harvey Dent, it doesn't take much, a couple spiraling of events that leads them down a dark path. And I think Aaron Hackard does a great job of portraying all that. There were some prosthetics and then some CG uh, Yeah, on it was top a mix. It, they said they scaled it back at first and they said it looked too real they wanted to go so far that bones and the mouth and things were all out of whack where when you do see it it's pretty grotesque and but i think they do a good job of giving it that comic book feel to it that he his face got burnt so bad but it's effective i think it did so well i think if you scaled it back it might look like just a scar or a gash but if you went too far past even what they did it might have looked comical i feel like what they did it's really intense when he looks at you and you see the eye bulging and everything definitely they they've towed that line perfectly again uh we we had a very different version of two-face that people were aware of from 
that was Batman. Was that Batman and Robin? I Batman think? Forever was Tommy Batman Forever. That's right. Yep. So you have you have a, a picture in mind in your head. So you just want to make sure that you you portray it a different way so that people aren't thinking back to that one. So when I think back to Two Face again, Tommy Lee Jones, fantastic actor, but this is the portrayal I think of. Totally, and you know you chose to talk about Aaron Eckhart next. I'd like to talk about Gary Oldman before we get to the big one. For me, Gary Oldman has done everything from crazy roles in The Professional. He's been crazy in Fifth Element, and he gives these larger-than-life personas, and I think he's a fantastic actor. He was just uh, recently in that movie where he played... Winston Churchill? Thank you. In... The Darkest Hour. That was a great, Thank you. A he, great role. I thought the movie had its slow points was long but i thought he was 15 out of 10 if i give him a 10 out of 10 he'd yeah. be a 15 out of 10 he was right. so good in that role and that's all every role he plays and this for him i feel like to play commissioner well, he's not even commissioner gordon in the, when the movie begins right but to watch him from batman begins to watch him in this movie and in the third one i feel like you see him as an actor play this role so reserved but so so well as this morally righteous police officer or you know commissioner and i think in this role he does such a good job being a family man just a man on the right side of the law trying to do the right thing in every place and even the beginning when he's skeptical of batman he knows what batman's trying to do is right and he feels like he can't always get what he needs to get done so he chooses to work with the Batman and might, you might say it's not the right choice, but he has to work in some of these morally gray areas because the city is in some morally gray areas. So right. what did you think of Gary Oldman as, as commissioner Gordon? Oh, I, I think he's does a, a great job. He, like you just kind of touched on, he has a restrained approach to him to make him more of an everyman than, you know, the larger than life characters that you have. If you have all larger than life characters, it, it does doesn't work so you need someone to be kind of the stand-in for the audience who's going to be the stand-in for the audience and i think the the commissioner gordon eventual commissioner gordon very much kind of plays that role he's the every man he's you know trying to do the right thing he's a family man he's trying to clean up the city for you know the people but also you know for his family and he he portrays all of that with a really deft touch i think less is more when you're playing that type of a role and Gary Oldman really toes that line perfectly. And I think I always feel that American actors don't always do the best British accents, but mm -hmm. I find British actors can always do a very good American accent. And I think right. both uh, Christian Bale and Gary Oldman are not American descent, correct? Correct. But they both do a fantastic job here in hiding their accents. The, per the perfect part about this is that a lot of these different comic book worlds, while they're stand-ins for New York or different areas, aren't New York. So if you can have any type of large covering American accent, it doesn't have to be region specific. But when Americans try to do British accents, it's always region specific, and that's where it really gets sticky. So I think that's really the in for you know the, the comic book movie world itself there. But also kind of like American actors step up your game a little bit. Yeah, right? Come on, guys. So I think we now need to talk about Heath Ledger. And 
I'm sure it's been talked about in nauseam. And I still think we need to talk about him again here because it's a shame. Obviously, you have to start with the fact that he never got to see this to fruition. He filmed all of his work, passed away tragically six months prior to the the movie coming out. And now his initial casting was shocking. People were like, what? The guy from A Knight's Tale and the guy from 10 Things I Hate About You is going to play the Joker? And I remember where I was when I read that casting. And, but then again, years later, I remember where I was when I heard that he passed. And then I know where I was when I saw this movie and said, this guy gave the performance a lifetime. So Mark Heath Ledger and the Joker, where are you at? Heath Ledger and the Joker. Again, it's, it's been talked about, you know, countless times for countless hours and it will continue to be for, eternity because it's that good of a performance there's been different stories told and myths about how he lost himself by going so deep into the character uh and whether or not that's true you know leading to his uh, untimely death is you know up in the air what's not up in the air and what's not up for debate was the performance that he turns in for the joker we talked about how this is a fully formed version of the joker and how they don't tell his origin story in a coherent manner but i think that's portrayed so perfectly by heath ledger how he tells a different origin story each time and each of them seem equally plausible to the viewer and the character that he's interacting with and i think again this is only my take on it i think in his mind all of them are true so i think that that type of madness to be able to portray that and harness that throughout the entire film is, is just, it was just such a treat to watch. It's magical. And it's a shame that I almost feel like he upstages and outperforms everyone in this movie, even to the point that when he's in a scene with Batman, where he's in a scene with Harvey Dent, or he's in a scene with anyone else, I feel like the camera just pulls towards him because he's just so intoxicating to watch. Every reaction, every line he says, he steals every scene he's in starting from the opening scene, starting from the scene where he walks in with the, with the gang members and he's sitting right. there and wants to show them a trick and he just puts the pencil, showing the, the scene where there's all the money and he's burning it to where he's sadistically laughing and torturing a guy on, on camera. I mean, everything he does coming down to even the scene where him and Batman are in the prison together and you have you know the whole, they say good cop, bad cop and the Batman shows up And I think about these two lines in particular. And one of them is where Joker says to Harvey Dent when he's laying in the hospital, he says, you know, I'm like a dog that's trying to chase a car. And even if I got it, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And that scene, that the dialogue is brilliant. And the second for me is when Michael Caine as Alfred is discussing with Bruce Wayne what kind of man he's dealing with. And what he says to him is, there are certain people that don't want anything in particular. There's, there's nothing that, there's no weakness that they have. There's nothing that they're going to sympathize about. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, that's such and, a great line. And it's a realization that Batman has nothing to, to threaten Joker with. There's no way to stop him or talk him out of it. He just wants to cause chaos. And it's a menacing thing when you realize in your head what kind of character Batman's dealing with. And 
so that's a credit to the, the screenplay, the writers here, because fantastic acting as well. But some of the dialogue, it's stuff that's been written for 70 years. They still managed to write things that I feel like capture these characters so well. Definitely. It's it's such a great character. And it's why the Joker always comes comes back, you know, continually is because it's a character that doesn't have any of the typical motivations. He doesn't covet power. He doesn't covet money. He doesn't covet the fame. He just wants to cause chaos. He wants to be the fly in the ointment. He wants to just make, he, he, the only thing he really wants to do is shine a light on people being the worst versions of themselves. And someone that can't be bought and can't be reasoned with is the most dangerous type of person. And they do such a great job. You, you're right of, of portraying that in the script, in the interactions he has with the other characters, but you know, Heath Ledger just, just knocks it out of the park. He's, he really he's so, does. he's such a, you know, he's such a wild card through in every interaction that you don't know how he's going to react. And we've said it's Harvey Dent's movie, his full arc. It's Definitely. obviously a Batman movie, even though sometimes I feel like Batman might not be the most important character in the movie, the most interesting in this movie. I right. feel like sometimes he's the third most interesting character in the movie. Regularly. Because, yeah. Because Joker's just so damn interesting and that's obviously a credit to Heath Ledger that he was able to make the villain just so captivating. And he's probably in 10 scenes or so, but each of those 10 are instantly memorable. And you just have to watch everything he does. Every twitch, every twitch, every little cringe, Verbal every little tick. Yeah. yeah, he's just got these mannerisms that this character comes to life and is real and has these these twitches. I love the, the makeup and the design of the character. You know, he's not clean. He's kind of just got this messy makeup, messy lipstick, messy hair. And it just kind of got, it feels more real in this Nolan world. Right. He feels, he feels like he's together, but slightly unhinged, always like on the edge of losing it. And I think that makes you slightly uneasy, you know, as an audience member, which is what you'd be feeling if you were a citizen of Gotham. You have this guy that clearly has a plan in his head of some semblance, but both on his appearance and the way that he puts those plans into action are so unpredictable. And that's really reflected in the way that he's made up and the way that he dresses. And again, with his physicality, he has you know different verbal tics, the like the clicking. It's just so unpredictable and like he's off the deep end and barely hanging on, just hanging on enough to be a, a criminal mastermind and the most devious person you can think of. And then very quickly, Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman, they're, they're pros, they're veterans, they're some of the best of what they do. And I think they just add that extra layer of prestige to these movies, having two great all-time actors just fill solid, supportive roles to Batman. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, there's a fine art to being a supporting character in these types of movie where you have big name actors like Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman, that they're able to, I won't even say backseat, but just allow the the material and the other characters to kind of breathe a little bit more in their interactions, you know, with these characters. So they're really valuable to the progression of Bruce Wayne's character throughout the, the trilogy uh, and really invaluable uh, in those roles. One thing I want to also just mention, uh, as far as far as the plot itself, there, uh, can we talk about how Batman committed like 
an incredibly ridiculous amount of crimes. We're talking about like personal freedoms and uh, the like. It's basically cybercrime on every single person in Gotham. I think there was a there's a great channel on YouTube called Legal Eagle that breaks down all the crimes that were committed in all your favorite movies. And they said Batman was going to jail for like, I think 230 million years. Well, how about going to Hong Kong at where he right. basically kidnapped someone in another country? I mean, it's one thing when you're operating as a res as a, as a resident, as a Batman, you know, lives and is from the United States. They now go to Hong Kong and start right. kidnapping people. That's a whole different uh, gray area. Right. And they were talking about how, technically speaking, because they didn't command Batman to commit that kidnapping. And because Lau had committed crimes in Gotham City that they could still technically charge him with the crime. So it's like, it's right in that gray area. So uh, kudos uh, to the screenwriters for getting that much right. So next thing that, and we will go back and forth, talk about some of the greatness of this movie. To me, what's so powerful is in between the scenes, they have these incredible establishing shots. Yeah, And I don't know if you're familiar with them, but before each scene, you get these shots of either usually these big landscapes of the city. And I feel like it, it, they're usually these full IMAX type shots and they're right. gorgeous. And the cinematography in this movie is wonderful. I mean, you're talking about there's, there's scenes that again, you can, you can frame the angles, the detail, what, what they capture in some of these moments are, are unbelievable. But some of these establishing shots, uh, one actually in Hong Kong where you got Batman standing up there before he leaps there are really yeah. some unbelievable moments there. Iconic, yeah. We have to, you know, talk again about the collaboration. Uh, with any Nolan work you're talking about, the collaborative process, and we're right smack in the middle of that, you know, kind of dynamic duo, I'd call them, of Christopher Nolan and Wally Pfister, who is the director of the cinematography. He does such a great job, and they have such a, a cohesive vision of what they want to capture in those establishing shots. And that Hong Kong shot in particular in in that IMAX format is breathtaking it is iconic it is it's out of this world I, I I'm thinking about it right now like I can play it in my head yep. without even seeing the movie and that's there, the, the there are several there. sequences like that in this movie where I'd say the intro sequence you got yeah. the sequence where Harvey Dent is being transferred and they're trying Joker's trying to take him out and you have that whole right. thing with the giant truck and the 18 wheeler Right. And that's it. That whole sequence with the bat pod is really cool. Oh, yeah. And then there's just countless other sequences in this movie. Then the, these action sequences, there's probably six to eight of them that are just in your mind forever. Yeah, definitely. It's it's just a, a masterclass in, in cinematography. And again, like every Nolan movie, it, it really is talking about the collaborative process and how tied together that vision has to be between the director and the cinematographer for you to get this type of a result absolutely and it, this this is a full collaboration i mean we've touched upon the cinematography the, the the wonderful screenplay that was written here the the performances are wonderful you're you're more of a musical guy than i am this score is fantastic. Mark, what does the score do for you? Yeah, uh, Hans Zimmer and, and James Newton Howard collaborated on this, and I believe the Batman Begins soundtrack. You really can't say enough about Hans Zimmer in general. We've talked about him on this podcast before. We will talk about him countless times in the future. But I think his work with the Batman trilogy in particular is really notable 
for one, if not for any other reason, for one reason only, is that the Batman theme, it's not, it's not the classic theme. You think of Batman within the Nolan universe, the Dark Knight trilogy, it's one note. And that one note is so powerful. Like you just, you just hear, and you know, it's Batman. And to make that single note so effective, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. It's a nice consistency throughout the Dark Knight trilogy, having that score it's so powerful and i think it embodies so much of of these themes and the story that they're telling and it's probably something we could discuss for a half an hour was the the score in this movie but it it really it's part of the full package i think you lose that and maybe this movie lose some of the the majestic feel of it right absolutely i i think the the simplicity uh also of their approach is something that's noteworthy, right? You have a single note as the Batman theme. All three of the Batman movies, Christopher Nolan had outlined in like a one word type of outline for the entire film. So it it really speaks to how in tune everyone involved in the project is and, and why Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer have worked together on basically every project since then uh, is because they have that understanding together. So it's, it's a, it's a phenomenal soundtrack, but I, I just, I can't, I always go back to the fact that you can have an entire trilogy based off of a single note and it, it, it just, it works so well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's amazing. And Nolan, I think we've given him a ton of credit on this podcast. We've talked about Inception already. We've talked about now this is the dark Knight. I'm sure we'll talk about other movies in the future. I'm a huge fan of his work. I know you are as well. He, really knows how to put a story together and sometimes there can be concepts that are themes that he's trying to discuss whether you know whether the concept is a a visual or something in your brain that's thought-provoking or in a movie like this where the themes are as simple as you know the whole fall from greatness and the themes of this movie take on a whole life of their own. This movie takes on very serious themes. People say that this was the first superhero movie to take on themes such as, you know, serious political commentaries. And it's it's an incredible artistic achievement, but it really makes you think about different themes in our everyday lives. Yeah, it, it dives into some hard-hitting topics that we're, we're still working through now and will continue to try to work through in the future. There is the, you know, in, within this movie itself, that general distrust of the justice system. And that's why they're turning to alternate, you know, types of justice, you know, vigilante justice there. So to really deal with it and, and kind of dive into the nuts and bolts of, of trying to prosecute all these different mob bosses and, you know, follow the money and try to trap their money to try to, to bring them down that way. It's, it's very different for, you know, a, a superhero movie to, to dive into that and, and deal with it so well. But I'd say it's as relevant as you can say a lot about different wealthy organizations and can you prove certain things they did or didn't do as far as tracking money and getting away with things. And I think this movie touches upon some really impressive themes for a superhero movie. Usually most superhero movies like, I'm not picking on Green Lantern here, but if you take the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie, it's as simple as 
a bad guy and a good guy trying to stop him. And it's, right. you know, the right. themes of the movie are very basic and simple. And I'm sure I'm dumbing it down more than it is. I think Ryan Reynolds would be fine with your uh, criticism. I'm sure he <laughs> would actually support it right. and probably insult it more. But this movie goes to some really impressive places. And, you know, Rachel Dawes and Harvey Dent are trying to do some incredible things that people are doing on a daily basis. There are thousands, tens of thousands of people that are trying to work within the justice system and fight for good people and see how to properly, what's the best way to take down maybe guilty people that they can't prove guilty or people that are guilty and how to, how that works right. in our crime system. It's, 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 it's obviously a delicate theme they're working on. Right. They, they really dive into the the long tentacles of corruption, right. At the highest possible levels, but also, you know, how you can, how you can be corrupted even when you start with the the best intentions to lead to the most dire of outcomes right you have a police officer that just wants to try to get medication for her mom and it ends up basically with the death of rachel dawes uh yep, yep. unintended consequences uh from montoya. Know, the long tentacles it's Mont crazy montoya yeah right yeah this movie i think does some really incredible things plot wise, character wise, cinematography, the music, you can go on and on. I think this movie is a masterpiece. It's hard to poke with every little flaws you think you can find in this movie. This movie is, I think we're going to look back and say it was one of the greatest movies of the two thousands. I think, yes, this did change the way we look at superhero movies and the performances, you know, it's been talked about. We're not the first podcast to talk about Heath Ledger. We're probably the one millionth person to talk about his performance right. in this movie. But even on set, you know, Aaron Eckert and Gary Oldman, who are both talented actors, said they knew what he was doing on set uh, in rehearsals was special. Right. And, and that shows now through every rewatch, every time you rewatch every single one of those scenes, you can tell what he's doing. He tapped into something magnificent. He definitely did. Uh, this movie also is is notable for being one of the rare examples of a movie that had tremendous hype before it came out that it somehow exceeded because people were talking about this performance before before the movie was released. People were talking about it the same way we're talking about it now, and for the performance and for the film to not only match these kind of lofty expectations that people had from that viral campaign and from what everyone had been saying about Heath Ledger's performance, but to exceed it to the point that, you know, we're, we're 12, 13 years removed from it and we're still talking about it. And when you watch it, it still is as captivating as the first time you saw it is just, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I always find that to be an interesting conversation because we talk about the first movie in a series and then the sequel. And I think more than not, it's hard to make a good sequel. But when the sequel is better, it's usually substantially better. I think Terminator 2 is the one that comes to mind. Right. Empire Strikes Back, you know, is it substantially better? I think people do consider it to be the better movie than New Hope. Right. And here we are again, The Dark Knight. I don't think there's a single person. I mean, there's people out there, but... The majority of people are going to say The Dark Knight is the better movie. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it's hard to live up to hype, especially in 2008 back then. And even today, these movies get the expectations are so big. People are expecting you to 
blow them away with every sequence and every scene and every piece of dialogue. And this movie somehow managed to do it. And I would have to look at some of the MCU movies as the few other ex- exceptions to that, right. where they've actually lived up to the hype of what people are expecting and want. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also noteworthy. There, There's a couple, you know, there's several battle sequences in this, but it doesn't rely on a huge battle sequence to ratchet up the tension or to, to get to the exposition of the film. Like you were talking about, that final sequence with Gordon and his family and Two-Face and that entire confrontation, that's as tense as any fight in any you know, other movie where they're really going at it hand in hand-to-hand combat. But this is this, a, a different type of, you know, mental warfare that they really rely on. So it's, it's very different from a lot of the, you know, subsequent films in that sense. Yeah. I, I think that's wonderful what you just said, because a lot of times you think about superhero movies or action movies, and it's usually a big shootout or a big fight scene and you kind of do get that, you know, when Batman is is going up that tower and gets the Joker and he's taken out, you know, right. everyone kind of t- level by level of this building. But yes, the final sequence with Jim Gordon's family is just great drama. And yes, it's there's some action because he's got a gun to their head, but it's extremely emotional. Like you said, it's mental warfare. Every time I watch that scene, it is gut-wrenching. He starts pointing the gun at his at his children you just know these characters had history they had a friendship and to see now where harvey dent has how he's sunk to how he's become two-face i love how they talked about the character of two-face how they said you know what these guys talk about me in this division you know you know harvey two-face you know and i love the way they brought that up and discussed it and and he becomes that person but you're right. I think that, that this is something that's missing from other superhero movies to make them truly great. And first thing that comes to mind is actually Civil War because Captain America's Civil War, This that movie is another one that a lot of big battles, a lot of big action sequences, but the end, it's more of a mental dramatic sequence, you know, when, right. when you know Iron Man finds out the truth about his parents, it becomes more, yes, they fight, they duke it out, a bunch of them, but it's really the more right. of the mental thing of these friends fighting each other. And here, these, these are friends fighting each other. The three of them were trying right. to take down the bad guys, and here they are fighting each other. Right, starting with a common goal and having it all just kind of spiral off of one big, big event. Yeah, so I, I love that final sequence. I wish more movies... I'm hoping Wonder Woman 1984 is a lesson to to other filmmakers saying, do smaller things, do more things that are thrilling and, and emotionally gut-wrenching rather than people just punching each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, you know, people punching each other is fine, but if you don't have that emotional heart or you have that consistent story through line, uh, the, the movie's going to kind of fall apart. Yeah. And I've, now that I am a parent, I look at that scene at the end so much differently than when I first saw it in 2008. Right. I think at first I was like, oh, this is awful what this guy's doing. But then like when he starts pointing the guns towards his children, it's like Jim Gordon just like, take, shoot me, do any, like, it's just, you see him just falling apart. Like he can't even put the right. words together. He's like, what are you doing? Like, so it's, it's, it, I think that's a wonderful final scene. I think it doesn't get enough credit when Batman just appears and, and takes the bullet and goes down and, kind of runs away and takes the blame for everything. It's amazing. It's a perfect ending. Yeah, yeah. It's the I it's it's that Empire Strikes Back. It's the the good guys really didn't win. Right. And it, it's still setting you up for 
the story to continue, but it doesn't have a, a direct, oh, this is what what's lying ahead. So I think right. having that, that that ambiguous, it's it's pretty consistent with how Christopher Nolan likes to do things. But I think it's better than saying this is the guy. It, it works for the second movie, you know, in, in the original Batman begins to be like the Joker is going to be part of this. We don't. We're not going to tell you how, but here's his calling card. Be like, okay, this is how we get you excited for the second movie. But you have this great piece of film, and you're like, it's an uncertain future, and that's all you get. Yeah, I would. I agree with you. It's not as open ended as Empire Strikes Back, where you where you need the sequel. I think if they never made Dark Knight Rises, which I'm actually an apologist. I enjoy sequences and parts of that movie. I don't think it's as bad as sometimes it gets slammed on. Yeah, I'm on the same boat. But I think that. Dark Knight didn't need to necessarily have another movie because the way it ends, Batman is doing what he thinks is best for Gotham. And he really is the hero, even though he's being castrated here as the villain. Yeah. He is really the hero in the sequence. Right. Yeah. That's the hard lesson that he takes at the end. He says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And he embraces that role so that, you know, he could really be the true hero that, that Gotham deserves. And a lot of people thought that quote is about Harvey Dent because he says it and it's the irony of it because he's the hero that becomes dead. But I think it really, like you said, is about Batman because the end, he has made himself the villain to make sure that Gotham sees Harvey Dent still as, as a good man. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's a, it's a great job tying themes together and have everything come, you know, full circle, you know, on that particular arc and that quote with the, the plant and payoff. Absolutely. So I know there's a billion things we could talk about. I love this movie. I, I It's so rewatchable. I'm sure everyone in the world has seen it, so we don't have to tell anyone to go watch it. But Mark, any great sequences or scenes or, or just parts of this movie that if we didn't say it, you'd, you'd be unhappy? Oh, <laughs> uh, you, you kind of touched on it earlier. One just notable thing I thought was that always gives me a, a much needed laugh sometimes during uh, the heavier sequences is during that chase scene, where you have that that truck where it says laughter is the best medicine. They just spray paint the S. Slaughter is the best medicine. Fantastic. The bat pod that chase is fantastic. Obviously, with the truck flipping in the end of it, it's riveting. But the, the action sequences in this also, again, we focus on the emotional aspects, and I think rightly so. But the action sequences are also on, on that same level. Yeah, and sometimes... Sometimes it's you don't even need the action sequences. Sometimes it's the scenes like the two boats, the men on the boats. You know, you have the prisoners on one side and you have the just regular, you know, civilians on the other. Those tenseful, dramatic sequences of people's reactions and people thinking right. and just the music and the tenseness of it all is such a great sequence there. There's no really large action looming in those on those boats but it's just the emotional impact of it all and just seeing it all play out. And it's just so powerful. And I feel like that's so hard to do, but he manages to make that one of the climax areas of the movie. That's right before, I don't know if it's at the same time interweaving with, yeah, that is interweaving with right. Batman and trying and to chase down the Joker. Yeah, Trying to chase down the Joker. It's kind of like breaking in and out of that sequence, but that didn't need, that could have been some big fight scene. They could have made it some big thing, but no, it's just the tenseness and the human aspect of these people just thinking and trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that sequence because I would have been mad myself if I didn't touch on that as well. I, I, that's another great line 
what when in the most unexpected of places between the two you know you have the boat full of the prisoners and you have one particularly uh, authoritative prisoner comes up and he says he says give it to me he says you don't know what it's like you don't have know what it's like to take another life and he takes it and tosses tosses the remote out of the window and it's such a great you know subversion on your expectations um yeah yeah and it's, it's great and whether it's you think it's realistic or not, whether you think a person would do that in that sequence, I think it's just really well handled, really well done. And like you said, what you expect to happen doesn't necessarily happen. It did prove that at the end, Batman was right, that you know people can do the right thing when given this, the opportunity. Right. People are disappointed that the way the Joker ends, you know, the Joker's hanging there and he's, there's a great line where he's kind of comparing their relationship and discussing about it's this against an immovable object. And I forgot the exact line, right? The way they compare the analogy of, of the Batman and the Joker, but it's just, I think it's so well done. And that's the last thing we see of him. I still think it's well done that that's the last thing you see from that whole conversation right. and kind of the mystery behind the character kind of disappears with that. Mm-hmm. And I think the plan was to bring him back in the third, obviously, if, he didn't tragically pass away, but my my favorite se- scene is probably Batman in the prison cell with the Joker and just kind of them one on one, face right. to face, yeah, you know, and him punching him on the hand, and just it's just I feel like they're real characters, they're real people talking and trying to get through to one another. Just they they two of them just can't understand each other, and the Joker so badly wants to know what the Batman's about and understand why this guy's dressed up as a bat doing what he does. And the Batman is trying to understand a man that you can't understand. You can, you're right. trying to understand a person that there's, like you said, nothing's rational about what this guy does. So that that's gotta be my standout, just favorite sequence. Yeah. One final line that I want to just talk about because you were going over that sequence. I think it's the final line uh, that the Joker has uh, in the film but he talks about madness is just like gravity. All you need is a little push, which, and then he's cackling like a maniac, which is a fantastic ending sequence to you know see him in. But I think it's kind of the theme of the entire movie. You know, it, it is, it just took that push to take Harvey Dent from being this, you know, phenomenal beacon of hope district attorney to becoming Two-Face. And it's that, little push that really you know takes the joker to being the joker and could take batman from being a vigilante to is he going to murder this guy so i think it's a great final line for the joker to have because it really just wraps up the message of the movie in one line yeah i love i love that whole scene i love that that's the last thing we hear or see from the joker and i think people can relate i think anyone during covid times can know that we go through our daily whether you're working remote, going out and dealing with the madness of this new world in 2021, sometimes you feel like you're going a little mad and sometimes just a little right. thing sets, sets us over the edge. Here we have, I think, a pretty realistic turn of events that turns this great man into, and now obviously these are larger than life things he goes through, You know, losing right. a significant other, he's burned half his face off. So obviously he deals with things on a larger scale than the average person does, but right. it's still believable that this man can can turn into what he does. No, absolutely. And that's an important lesson that we're taking again with living in a, a very starkly different world than it was a year ago at this time. You know, we're a lot of people are right on the edge emotionally. We're we're in, you know, such high emotional times uh and in a high emotional state because of the reality that we're in. But 
again, we're taking it to a more extreme scale, but some people are, are getting ready to snap based off of, you know, the lack of human interaction that we've had as a result of this pandemic. Just think about if you had everything near and dear to you taken away from you in an instant and you lose half your face. So maybe that fall down to two face doesn't seem as far fetched now that we have the experience we have in 2021. I couldn't agree more. So I am very happy to add this movie to our hall of fame. I knew we'd get to eventually and I'm I'm glad we got to talk about it today. I cannot wait to rewatch this movie. This is, if I had to make a rewatchable list of movies or 10 that I can have on an Island, I feel like this would be on it just because it's, even though it's a tragic movie, it's, it's a fun movie to experience and watch and the emotional up and downs, the incredible that is Batman. He's just uh, a love of mine. I love the character. And I think he is shown really wonderfully here in this movie, the achievement that this is as far as filmmaking and what this has done for filmmaking, it it looks gorgeous. Whether you have Blu-ray or 4k, this movie is, is, is gorgeous and great to listen to. It's constantly considered top 10 list, top five list, top, the top movie 2008, it was up for nominated for many awards. I know posthumously. Thank you. Award went to Heath Ledger for his performance here for supporting actor. So this movie has it all. And Mark, any closing things you want to say about The Dark Knight? Uh, yeah, I'm just glad that we got to touch on this movie. It's it's uh, a worthy Hall of Fame entry. Uh, it just got recognized last year into the National Film Registry. I know our Hall of Fame is much more prestigious, but National Film Registry is pretty cool as well. But it's such a great film. If you know you haven't seen it in a while, definitely revisit it. If you have a new home theater system, whether it's a TV or you have a new sound bar or you have a new full system, it's a perfect movie to to get the full experience on that and justify your purchases. And if you haven't seen this movie yet, what are you doing with your life? Watch it now. Yeah, it's funny. I know some people that thought this movie was too dark for them. Okay, that's fine. Everyone this everyone has their own cup of tea, and that's it is a dark movie it's called the dark knight and i think it deals with some darker themes than batman and robin do with alicia silverstone and george clooney so it's a very different this is not your grandfather's batman i don't know if that's the right Right. phrase but this is this is a much more serious is it quite as dark as like a, a frank miller Batman, I mean, it's 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 getting there, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's getting to some darker themes. It has some ties to it, yeah. But I, I think, again, and I, I don't want to always kind of dive into this necessarily and contextualize it this way, but if the the reality that we're in currently doesn't open your mind to, you know, the world is darker than it seems sometimes and, you know, expand your mind into seeing different things, I don't know if you're ever going to get expanded out into that type of... Uh, genre of film very much so but i'm hoping our listeners enjoyed our discussion on the dark night today this was a fun one we have many more lined up for you guys in the future we do have upcoming we have a special kind of a retrospective on the marvel cinematic universe it'll kind of be some bonus episodes we're going to throw in just because we're big marvel fans here and we'd love to talk about the different phases of the marvel universe so look for that upcoming mark where can people find you watch you stream uh i'm still on twitch at twitch.tv slash ursus fidelis 
and on social media on Twitter or Instagram.com slash Ursus Fidelis TV. Uh, but again, thanks to everyone for tuning in, checking out our conversations, become part of the conversation as well. Make sure you, you know, leave us a rating, make sure you email us. We want to know your thoughts and we appreciate you coming on the journey with us. I want to thank you, Mark. Thank you listeners. And we will see you guys next time. From Mark and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame movie podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time. <laughs>